This is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is episode 30, uh, Two Teachers Talking. Uh, Charles and I get together, talk about teaching and things that work, things that don't, um, mistakes we make, and uh, try to work our way out of all the problems we create for ourselves. Can we just drop um, the, can, sorry to interrupt, but can we just drop the all the mistakes we make that we talk about at the beginning <laughs> every week? I don't think we need to remind anybody anymore that right. we're making mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, sorry about that. But the, is this episode 30 now? This is number 30. And that and, seems uh, like it's worth a Yahoo Wahoo, some kind of Yeah, yeah, well, it's over a year. It's when we've had our one-year anniversary, which was mm. in April, mm-hmm. and neither one of us has been fired from our jobs yet. Not yet. Not yet. We still have. <laughs> we're waiting for summer break. But episode 30. And yeah. Yeah. When we, and we, speaking about getting fired. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> which leads us into our topic today. Yeah, right. Getting teachers, fired. teachers under attack. <laughs> teachers under fire. Teachers <laughs> under attack. So let's just skip our usual intro and get into it. How's that, Tony? Okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, you know, just to get us warmed up, um, headlines. We were recording about a week in advance, and headlines today from uh, my hometown. Uh, bit problems with the school system there, and it is a system that is broken, uh, but. They've uh, kind of chosen an interesting way to attempt to fix it, and they've closed uh, about, or will be closing this year, about 60 schools, and uh, the news this morning where they were laying off about 600 teachers. Good morning. Right, and what did they announce it, on a Friday? Uh, Yes, that would be a Friday. Well, of course. How rude can you be? Why can't you wait until Monday? Well, of course, we know why. Because you have to, because they want people to be upset and angry on Saturday and Sunday. Well, so, you, you always put out bad news at the end of the uh, at the end of the day on Friday, so that everyone's otherwise occupied the next day. If you do it on Monday, then you've got the news and everyone's hot about it all through the week. But and then the day of Friday, it's like yeah, good. Okay, let's just ruin people's weekends. Yep. Now I remember once I got a rejection um, email from a school I had applied yeah. to, and I got it at. Monday morning, 9 a.m. Oh. And I wrote this incredibly <laughs> polite. I, said, they, I bet you they didn't do that again. I, 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 yeah. I, no, I, I, I wrote them an email saying, I just want to say thank you for your consideration of sending this rejection on Monday morning and not sending it instead of Friday afternoon afternoon yeah. and bumming me out on my weekend. I'm, and I just said that it really makes me sad that you've rejected me because obviously this is a place where I would like to work. Yeah, was, nice obviously nice the decision had been made by Friday. Sure, sure. And these people said, you know what? Let's not bum anybody out on the weekend. So, okay, bad news for teachers. And this is, yeah. and what kind of teachers were they, Tony? I think um, this is a Chicago public school system. So it it's is tenured uh, and school, non-tenured teachers, correct? Tenured and non-tenured high school and elementary school. Um, yeah, they're just, yeah, closing schools in you know, basically poor neighborhoods black neighborhoods um and it's um i think the big term the long-term plan unspoken of course is that you close the schools these schools and traditional schools and then at some point needs based replace them with quote-unquote charter schools which are supposed to be uh, supposedly, 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 but all the research, it, but except except that they're all non-union teachers, right? And the research being, shows that they do not achieve any better results than yes. regular schools. But it's non-unionized teachers, non-union, yeah. 
that's one. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the so so many facets. I mean, this this is a really difficult topic because there's so many different facets to this. I mean, there's the, the general austerity budget mentality. There's this what we're talking about right now, the union busting. Um, there is the at the uh, minister what we would here in Japan would be the ministry level. Uh, the uh, issue with textbooks and things that uh, are, are getting stuffed down the throats of teachers where you know they have like adam and eve writing dinosaurs <laughs> anti-evolution thing where... what's the problem with that i don't understand <laughs> yeah well anyway okay <laughs> that's whole another notion podcast of, charles <laughs> yeah academic freedom and teacher autonomy just goes right out the window you've got the teaching to the test and evaluating teachers by the test scores that the class generated you've got increased class sizes where classes keep getting bigger and bigger you've got this general idea in the that, that comes from a certain segment of the population um, stigmatizing the educated individuals, you know, labeled the elite, right? I mean, the whole mood of anti-intellectualism, um, teacher pensions, which are getting raided and you know, renegotiated. And, you, know, you put your time in and you had a, you had a deal, you thought, and well, sorry, we're going to need to renegotiate this. Longer school days, longer school years. Um, extra duties, things like uh, coaching or sponsoring, you know, clubs and so forth and so on, uh, that may or may not have anything to do with your area of expertise. Um, don't even mention, um, for example, big city schools where your students are armed <laughs> and guns in the school and people talk about having more guns in schools. Um, at the university level, um, the notion of tenure is a evaporating dream for so many. There's, there just aren't any tenure jobs. Um, and when you do get a, a job, uh, the pressure to publish, to earn, to garner grant money, uh, there's no emphasis whatsoever on teaching itself. And then just the basics, you know, the teacher salaries. I mean, the, the highest paid university jobs, you know, the coaches by, by factors of 10, <laughs> it's, it's, it's whack. And it just, when you look at the whole system, um, it's just a in profoundly short sighted um, plan that just we're going to be paying for for ye years, centuries, decades. I don't know. And that's the podcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you covered so, everything. So, what part of this do you want? How do you want to work this, Charles? <laughs> what? And the funny thing is, uh, for those of our listeners here, that Tony and I were talking about this, and I think the idea, Tony, I think was was it you said that? Hey, Charles, I think you'll be leading on this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done. <laughs> Uh, there's so much on this issue to go through. I think um, one, there's so much to this. One of the things that you said was the deal mm, that is okay. made. And I, I want to go talk a little bit about this um, and also point out, I think in a lot of ways we're talking about U.S.-based teaching. Mm -hmm. It'll okay. tie in with what's going on in Japan, but a lot of what we're talking about, this teacher under attack idea. And addressing that issue of the deal, which was, I pretty much understood that when I started teaching and I started teaching in the U.S. at about when I was 27, that I would not be paid the way my friends who were quote unquote professionals <laughs> and a professional, I mean, a lawyer, a doctor, a CPA, Right, an accountant. Forgive the sure. derision in my voice there slightly, but a teacher was not considered a real professional. Even was more than now, but it was still pretty low. 
But the idea was that in exchange for doing the work you really wanted to do and the not very, very good pay, that your trade with the devil was the pension. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very fair for most teachers. Most teachers will tell you they feel underpaid. And I know most people really feel underpaid. But I think you're looking at people who have an extra, have taken extra courses or have advanced degrees. And many of those people's, people are choosing to go into education, into high schools, into junior high schools. And again, I'm going to just make my claim that um, anyone who's teaching junior high school gets the tip of my hat for having mm, one of the hardest jobs well, yeah. in the world and one of the most no valuable question, yeah. jobs, right? Important Yeah, job. yeah. And the point I'm trying to make here is that everybody will tell you that they think teachers are important, but nobody, or not nobody, but there's so little respect given to people, and that's represented by teacher pay, which I think Absolutely. is not in accordance with the role in society that the job has. so Or that it should have, absolutely. And okay. then the, the really real effect that it does have, yeah. And there are, actually, and there are people who unconscionably feel that teachers are, in fact, overpaid. Right, well, I'm going to get to that. And there's really zero respect yeah, for I'm gonna what get actually happens. Yes, right? exactly. And this, I think, you know, Tony, is related to the fact that most people don't understand what it's like to be in a classroom. And, you know, people think that it's really easy to teach writing. What 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 is there to teaching writing? But it's amazing the people who say that probably can't write very well. Huh. Um, you know, to put together a curriculum, even to put together a lesson plan is an incredibly difficult thing that requires a lot of background. So I think there's a, not a lot of valuation or value placed upon the profession itself or the skills. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I'll just reiterate. I mean, because I want to emphasize that. Yeah, it's teaching is hard work, and if you want to do it well, it's really, really hard work. Yes, and people say, but teachers get these two month vacations, <laughs> and you ask any spouse of a teacher, when's the last time they saw their teaching spouse not come home and work? Mm. And we're not talking about bad apples because, you know, talking about bad apples is like saying that, well, CEOs are overpaid based on how much abuse the bad CEOs have made. But the real thing that is important to address, I think, not is in terms of the teachers under attack, is this idea of people complaining that teachers and schools are not teaching our students and then they're being defunded. And the people who are complaining tend to be people who don't want to pay a lot of taxes. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that the – you can't – I think there was an article about San Francisco and that a lot of the high-tech companies have buses that are made for – that transport their people from San Francisco to the Silicon Valley um, campuses that are about an hour and 10-minute drive away. And these are Wi-Fi and they're really super high-tech, comfortable buses. And people from these companies are known to complain about the quality of the roads. But at the same time, people don't want to pay taxes. So this thing with teachers and teachers under attack, I think, comes also with a decline in our understanding of social responsibility mm-hmm. and the social contract. Mm-hmm. So that's my, my big complaint about things. But I, when you said the, the deal that teachers mm-hmm. buy into, I think that's important. 
Yeah, it's it's two at two levels. Uh, you know, talking about the deal. I think one is it, yeah, in terms of society, if it, like you talk about the quality of the roads, taxes. Um, we last month it was that uh, bridge that collapsed in Oregon. Right, I infrastructure believe. issues. I mean, so in Washington, Washington in, State, Washington, I five, so, Interstate. So five. yeah, incredibly short-sighted attempts to cut corners and save money. That is is just going to have incredibly negative consequences in the future. Mm, so good point. Yeah, the, the social contract. I mean, the whole idea of citizenship and um, you know common good and all that. Of course, that's one thing. And then at the other, at the, you know, at a micro level, the the, the teacher himself, herself who enters this profession with you know certain assumptions right that you just like you said it's like you're not going to have the high salary you're not going to have this you know career path you're going to probably buy a used car for example and and get used to that yeah Yeah. that lifestyle you're not going to really be able to buy a new car (laughs) and and part of that deal is that yeah you're going to accept this but yeah you are going to have a reasonably um, fair retirement Fair retirement, and you're going to have a little bit of sanity time each year to some vacation, right? The school year in the United States where your summer is your vacation time, two months nominally, I think, um, to, you know, recoup. I mean, recover from the past year, gear up for the coming year. Yeah, and, and maybe actually have a little bit of a life. Um, but, yeah, it's... It, People look look at you know it's a greener grass thing, right? which we talked about talked last about, time. Yeah, right, the full time part time thing. But yeah, people look at she's like, well, oh, will they get those vacations? I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> they do, <laughs> but you're not looking at what they're doing the other ten right. months of the year. Yeah, and it's the salary represents how people are valued and how society values these positions. I think an entry exactly. level, an entry level coder probably makes more money than a. Uh, a, a teacher with 10 to sure. 15 years experience in a public school. Sure. And so we have that. The other thing that we've talked about, and I've mentioned this before, is the these concepts, for example, teacher accountability. And I've talked about this in the sense this nonstop creeping in of financial terms as a mm. means of measuring teachers. And so people don't sit back and say, you know, how do we measure teacher effectiveness? Which would be the research question, right? Looking at mm-hmm, how effective mm-hmm. a teacher can teach something and then watch and see and try to measure how well the students transfer the learning over to another subject or to another problem. We use terms like accountability. And, you know, teacher accountability is like accountability to what? And this is where, of course, you can see where this is going. It's accountability to a test. Mm. And um, I know it might sound really weird to people who are based in Japan, but this idea of testing students and using testing across the board, on, for example, the common curriculum that is being implemented in the United States is a strange concept to us. Whereas in Japan, the idea of teaching to the university exam or the high school exam is well known but here everybody sees that or most educators i know would consider it a negative most students i know consider it a negative and most parents i know consider it a negative because we can see the negative effect it has on learning 
anybody associated with it realizes that that is the, the biggest problem we've got. It is the problem, <laughs> right? If we could remove teaching to the test and allow, allow students to actually do real learning and allow teachers to do real teaching, that a lot of creativity would be unleashed. And this is the biggest, um, the price that is paid for teaching to the test, I think, is in terms of creativity. So in America, we're going to this now, right? This accountability basically means how well can a teacher get all their students to achieve a certain point? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that is just insane to me because mm -hmm. teachers, by the nature of human beings and structural arrangements and the organization of institutions, will teach to the test. And they will start teaching test-taking strategies. And the whole system just falls apart because of the law of unintended consequences. Yeah, and that, yeah exactly. And we deal with that at the universities here in Japan every day. Yeah, can you give a, let's give a concrete example how we deal with that every day. You'll get students in a classroom that um, have, you know, have tested well. Uh, and you know vocabulary and we the 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 myth is that well yeah the, the students can read and they can um uh understand but they can't produce they can't they can't speak and they can't write and that's a myth and they they, they can't they what they are able to do is take tests and so they test very well and uh, I, I talked about one of the classes i have this year where um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good university and, uh, they're first year students and they tested well enough to get in again, they have been taught to the test. So their test taking skills are very, very good. Um, I'm convinced that half of them before they came to my class never had to speak a word of English. Mm. They're learning a totally impractical in terms of foreign language acquisition, extremely efficient in terms of getting a test score uh and the the divergence is bigger than most people can imagine it if you're not if you're not doing it right. it's it's incredible and the thing that's really key here is that ev and most um, most of our listeners i know are teachers so everybody knows this is that we see the effect in the classroom which is ask students to bind it's what i'm now calling the binding problem but it's used differently by cognitive scientists you know binding is why does you know the why does this massive matter called the human brain manage to develop consciousness but i call it the binding problem which is you teach something to students and they if it's not explicitly laid out for them how to use it how to apply it in a test kind of situation they will not transfer that over into a situation where it can be used. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. best example of that um, is when I, at the beginning of every semester, when I'm teaching students all the, the language they need to talk to me, you know, please speak more slowly, please say that again. I'm sorry, I don't understand, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then they take the quiz, they've learned the phrases, they've memorized it, you've gone through, you've role played it, and then a student will not use it when in a real life situation. And this is directly due to this notion of learning for the test, because when you're a, a 12 year old or a 13 year old, you're highly impressionable. And we are basically in the United States now teaching kids to take these tests 
which are basically not affecting their future unless, of course, they are not promoted to the next grade, mm-hmm. which means that the kids who are penalized the most are the ones who could not pass the test anyhow, I think. Right? Students who can get the minimum grades can do that. And the idea, I guess, now is that you use those test scores as part of a student's grade. But these are standardized tests, right? They're they're not helping students learn. They're not helping our students learn how to think, how to apply what we call applying information and using information and connecting it to other information, which is what I would term knowledge. These mm-hmm. We see the effects all the time, and this is mm. the road America's going down right now, I mm. think. And as you pointed out, the effects down the you know down the road are frightening to me. Right, and it's uh, particularly uh, sad because that has been um, one of the strengths of the American education system, and we and we see that here because it, because of the contrast, um, our, our students here have. A, a very good command of facts mm. and information. They know things. They have not been taught what to do with that knowledge. Uh, they don't know how to apply it. It's very hard for them to, uh, to you know, cliche, think outside the box or make certain connections. They they know the answer, and they're looking for the answer, but they are at a complete loss when you ask them to take two of those answers and take another step and say, okay, well, what does that mean? Right. Or what might that mean? Because that whole creative process mm-hmm. of being able to think and move to the next step to analyze and then produce, um, they just stop. And that's one thing that the, uh, I, I think that the American, American education system has been pretty, pretty good at. We, you know, we're, we don't do such a good job, especially, for example, things like world geography or world history, um, you know, really kind of myopic in terms of like, you know, a U.S. centric education system. But uh, one of the great things about it has, has been, despite that, is that um, the uh, education system does produce uh, students who are able to think uh, and for themselves and think analytically and think. I mean, just, and it sounds, it's, it sounds trite, but when in the absence of it, you really notice it. It's like, yeah, the, we, we, Charles, I, I mean, prize of the U.S. education, can think. Speak for yourself, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> right. And this is the problem is because when you have a standardized test or something like an entrance exam test, that students will be solving the problem to find the correct answer rather than exploring the problem. And the biggest negative of any kind of standardized testing is exactly that. You're trying to get the right answer. You're not exploring, which is the, I think when people say we need to think outside of the box, I think, no, you just need to explore the problem, explore the issue. In fact, I think our vocabulary is a little bit off, but Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're, you're right that you know, it not only has this negative effect on students, right, that we can see, and we, we both teach at some very, very good schools, I think, in Japan, that mm-hmm. the stu- it's obvious to see which students have been 
outside of Japan. And whether they've gone to Australia or, you know, English speaking countries or even non English speaking countries and the students who have been um, educated at international schools, they're easily identifiable, not because they're smarter, but because they're able to work a problem. Mm -hmm. And there's a phrase that I don't think ever gets uttered in a Japanese um, classroom in elementary, junior high school or high school. Remember that thing? Work the problem which implies a whole set of values that are very different from solve the problem. And we're losing that, I think, with this basis on testing, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, I think it has a lot of negatives. Um, but also, we were lucky, I think, Tony, both of us come from similar socioeconomic backgrounds with families that at least had respect for education, right? Mm. There were, you know, that's an important thing, right? There were books on the Huge. on the shelves, right? You, it's huge. It's huge. And we just, uh, yeah, go. <laughs> yeah, and that's a big part that, uh, that also is, I think, eroding, right? Um, as, you know, of course, in general, talk about, you know, the, the shift in the, the population's image and ideas and things. Yeah, and you get down to the, you know, again, bring it down to a more individual level. When you have like, students, you know, beginning school, Coming from families where the family is different from the the, fam the two families that Charles described his in mind, where education is not held in high regard and the teacher is not held in high regard. We hear um, monster parents is the term in the United States. Think helicopter parents, um, where yeah, the the teacher is often kind of demonized, and um, you know what are you doing to my kid or why are you being tough on my kid and the the whole notion of what the school's function is what what education is what the teacher's role is and what the parent you know sorry parents what the parents role is um has become so perverted uh it, i think it's really must be really really hard to be a teacher in the United States these well, days. I think sometimes it's hard to be a teacher here because when you talk about how, what was the word, how the, the, the roles or the commitments or the um, perceptions of responsibility have just transformed themselves. Um, I have to teach students to say thank you, you're welcome, and excuse me. Mm. I'm sorry. That's a parental responsibility. And then all the time, I'm out in public, you know, sitting in a restaurant or on a train, and I watch parents who do not teach their kids, you know, the kids bump into somebody, the parent does not, you know, make sure the kid says, excuse me, right? Um, so I find it really funny that people are generally demonizing teachers and we're attacking teachers, but I want to I want to attack parents, <laughs> and I'm a parent, um, that... It's a general sense of misplacing responsibility, I mm -hmm. think. It, cool. Yeah. Right? That's a good way to put it. Sure. You know, that everything's it's, – it's really upside down. I mean, there are certain responsibilities that an educator has. And, I mean, it's in – what's – in America, it's known as local parenti, which mm -hmm. means that um, it's Latin for um, the location parent, I think, right? That in school uh, – teacher uh, or school employees at that point are temporary parents in terms of decision-making mm -hmm, exactly. authority and responsibility. And the key there is local. It's temporary. It only means while the student is at the school. 
And there are times where, you know, I've actually joked with my students, you know, I've handed them a piece of paper. These are at good schools, okay? Um, and when we say good schools, we're talking about students who have tested well and tend to come from middle class or upper middle class families where education has been valued. Their parents have paid for them to go to the cram school, Jukus, right? Um, the parents have supported the students in their attempts to become educated. And, you know, a student will not say thank you or excuse me or something to me. And I will say, call your mother or call your father now. I want to talk to them. Right? I want to like know, <laughs> did you teach your kid to act like this? So this whole thing where we hear teachers under attack is this misplaced kind of blame and responsibility instead of looking at where have we gone as a society? Where have we gone as a culture? What do we value now the most? Yeah, and, very very well put, you know, and you know what what does society value the most? The car you drive, the size of your house, the address you have, right? How much status you derive from It's all the money. Sure. It's all it's basically there's I think a connection there that mm -hmm. at least in the United States. I mean, Tony, we're our generation I think when we were graduating high school and going to college the people we respected, I think, were the people who went to work for the United Nations or who went to work for the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. Remember, these are the people like, wow, these people are doing really valuable work. I didn't, you know, uphold the people who were making the most amount of money. That wasn't like what I think a lot of my friends when we graduated from school thought about. So this emphasis on materialism, and here I sound very conservative, and I have nothing against wealth. I just would like it spread, or I'd like more people to be wealthy, <laughs> that's all. <laughs> but the idea is, I think, you know, you can't attack people who are being underpaid, overworked, working in situations that are underdressed. And if no one has ever worked in an urban school, like an urban high school or something, you have no idea how scary that is. Oh, man. You know, that... Um, I've had I had I remember when I had a student say I'm going home right now to get my gun, you know. Now I would like to ask how many people have heard those words at work, right? Or you know, knowing that's that you're physically at risk. Yeah, that and that's no exaggeration. That, yes, it's not. That's it's the not. significant number of public school teachers really are fearful of their physical safety. And I'd like to know how many people other than, you know, on a daily basis really relate to that, understand that these people are doing an incredible service. They're going in and working and doing their best because of any, you know, what inequality in society or for whatever reason that these things are happening. So, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I think we need to look at a little bit about parental responsibility. And I don't want to hear about, by the way, you know, the middle class parents talking about, you know, parenting and economic classes that are below us. It's no manners don't exist. And if students don't have manners, it's because of their parents. And without manners, we don't have peace. That's my mm -hmm. big thing. So, OK, so we kind of covered the parental issue a little bit and the teacher thing. We've talked about testing and the negativity about testing. OK, what else do you think is going on with teaching, Tony, that you know, is having this negative, I mean, this whole attack on teachers, which I think most teachers perceive, right? Mm. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure they do. I mean, I mean, it's a, a, the taste has got to be in their mouth every day. Right. I mean, you wake up with you go to bed with it. Yeah. yeah it's what is and that it's got to be so demoralizing, right? right? I mean, it, it's how about terrible. how about this movement away from autonomy? I think this is something you and I have talked about, right? That 
Well, that's I think yeah, absolutely, and it's um, I think that's also partly a, a function result of that that idea of teaching to the test, um, more uniformity and uh, things. It's something as basic as I mentioned before, briefly, a textbook selection, uh, where uh, a school board will you know make a blanket de- decision about you know what textbooks are being used and who's making that decision, what it's what's it based on. Um, and the, you know, the injection of politics into the whole thing in terms of, you know, political correctness, um, how it deals with, you know, things like evolution, but all the other things and, uh, for example, literature, um, what issues get discussed, which issues get, uh, are met with objections from parents or from, um, other, other teachers or the you know, the, the local press or the pub, you know, uh, political groups or whatever, all those other things. And you end up with a curriculum and, and set of textbooks and syllabus that the teacher has really no control over. And you're taking away, um, you know, the, the ability to choose the right tool for, for the job and then demanding, uh, you know, the the result without being able to provide the means to get the result yeah it's a it's a it's a kind of catch-22 from the very beginning and with the that attitude of teaching toward the test um where you're where the teacher is going to be evaluated just by the test scores um you force the teacher to teach in a certain way and prevent him him or her from teaching in another way, and generally, when you talk about professionals and a professional, you know, career people who theoretically know what they're doing, um, you're, you're cutting them off at the knees. You're preventing them from doing the job that you're excoriating them for not doing. It's a crazy, vicious cycle. Right. It's a, it's a really good point, and I think that the main disadvantage for me, as I see, is that it takes away the teacher's ability to innovate. And well, there's no room for that. It's it's, right. it, it's exactly. actually frowned on. Right. You can't exactly. do that. And the, it's not it's, it's not, not what you're supposed to be teaching. It's them. not allowed, right? You can't, right. for example, you can't look at the material and the learning expectations and then say, you know, how do I get my students from where they are now to this point? And anyone who's ever been in a classroom knows that you go in and you design your lesson plan or your curriculum. And there are days when it doesn't matter how well planned it is, it ain't gonna work. Yeah, you throw it out the window and you You have to throw it out the window and you have to try something else. But if you are in a lockstep program where you are teaching to a test and you have to stay in a certain place at a certain time, you have you must do page eighty two and eighty through eighty six on this day. Um, I'm sorry, most teachers I know who are creative and innovative and can really, you know, rock and roll in the classroom will not be will be limited by that. And my question is why would we want to limit and or place limits or restrict creativity and innovation by really effective teachers? And the reason is is because most people assume who are outside of the teaching profession that there's not that much to teaching. Yeah. So go ahead and make a lesson plan and see. Right? And yeah, the teaching to the test. And I know that you're a very strong proponent of teacher autonomy. 
Mm. Right. And we've talked about that a lot. And, you know, I'm also believe in giving teachers autonomy and allowing them to really be creative at the same time, having very explicit and clear outcomes and goals that you want students to achieve. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I know if I'm going to be measured by how well my students do on a test, and it's going to affect whether I'm rehired or whether or not I'm going to get a raise, which is going to impact the quality of life of my family, correct? Mm -hmm. I would be insane, right? Mm -hmm. Not to teach to the test. Mm. It's just, it's... It's common sense. It's practical. The people say, no, you should maintain your integrity. And it's like, you know, it's always easy to, yeah, well, it's always easy to tell the other person. Integrity. Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, I don't have any integrity. <laughs> Secondly, so don't worry about that. But it's, you know, when people make decisions for financial reasons, it's always easy from the outside to evaluate that. But this, the pressure to teach to the test and make sure your students achieve that. And there are what we find increasing evidence in news reports about teachers, principals, administrators, local administrators, as well as district-wide administrators who have fudged the numbers. I think you've read a few of those stories, right? Tony? Oh yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Because so much, because so much depends on the numbers. Right. And that, and that, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a matter of human nature. There are, you know, reasons why we, you know, you send in you and observers into countries that are having elections that traditionally have not because the pressure or urge or desire or the reward or penalty for being true to the task or true to the brief, it's easy to get sidetracked. And I don't want a teacher. I, I don't want the teachers teaching my daughter to be teaching my daughter to pass a test. Yeah. And, and there's a, I just thought of a, you know, pretty interesting analogy. They think about, for example, law enforcement and you've got a, uh, you know, your group of police officers and you impose like, for example, you know, a citation quota or an arrest quota. Oh, like, well, you know, we, 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 need, we need more collars. We need more arrests. So yeah, he's going to go out and it, it got nothing to do with effective law enforcement, right. but you, he's he's working on this quota. We see, I see, <laughs> we see it's that. got doesn't do anything right. for the good of society. Right. It doesn't help anybody. Okay, and yeah, we see that in Japan. So if anybody's driven, you know that there are two kinds of traps <laughs> I've discovered in Japan. There's the speed trap, and the second trap is the no left turn or no right turn between certain hours, for example, and it's an easy ticket for the policeman to issue, or. And I once said to a policeman, I said, why are you giving, you know, not me, but why are you giving my wife this ticket for the illegal right turn when I can see four or five people going into an intersection after it's turned red? And this one policeman actually said something along the lines of, well, that's really mendoxai. You know, we'd have to set up video cameras and they would try to argue it, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just saying that this is, you know, using your analogy, right? It's human nature. You put a quota or some kind of requirement, people will have to do what they want to do. And it's the rare person who can achieve the brief. And yeah, there's all these other unintended consequences. People, you know, people in that sense, people are very creative and they find all kinds of ways to kind of fulfill what they got to do. And it, it has all these negative consequences. Yeah, isn't it interesting how that's how the creativity comes about <laughs> is trying to figure out how to beat the system so that you can meet the, you know, the requirements of the system. But it de- but you see there, here's the point. It detracts people's creativity from where it should be directed. 
Yeah, it, it actually works against effective law enforcement. And it works against, and it works against good teaching. teaching. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you have, a, you know, you'll have like, for example, a, let's say a, a good teacher straddled with this new requirement. And yeah, that teacher, he or she will figure it out and they'll say, okay, um, he or she will find a way to do both. They'll, they'll, they'll get the test scores and then they will also do what they know that they need to do and should do and what's best for the student. What you've done though is double <laughs> the, that person's workload because they've got to figure to balance these two balls instead of one. Um, increase the stress and the, the they're going to be burnt out. They're going to burn out quicker. They're going to get more fatigued. In, in a profession be more that has an extremely high burnout rate, by the way. Anyway, all by itself, it's just hard. You, so you've made this difficult job even more difficult. And to no real benefit. Actually, there's, there, there's, it's, a, it's, it's a negative because whatever time that they're spending generating these test scores is taken away from the other teaching that they could be doing. And it's, it's, so, it's just so counterproductive. And it goes against everything we know of in the way that the world is moving towards in terms of what skills, what abilities people will know. And this is, again, you know, it's, it's worth mentioning that Ken Robinson's TED Talk, his first TED Talk on how schools kill creativity, which has a lot of fluff and funny jokes and asides by him, but he does have some really good points where he asserts that creativity is as important as literacy in the modern world. And did we have to think that, you know, the students who are going to be graduating high school in 2013 are going to be retiring, what, 37 years later? Now you go ahead and try to tell me where the world's going to be in five years. How do we prepare these people for, you know, a life for a world we can't even imagine? And what are we doing? We're having them, you know, we're teaching to a test. We're not teaching them how to think, right? The tests don't require high level thinking skills. It doesn't require processing. And, you know, basically what it does, it's, I think, the first level of Bloom's taxonomy, isn't it? Right. This is like, you know, for, and for those people who are not familiar with it, what is there, seven levels to Bloom's taxonomy? Well, there's the new one and the old one, right? Then mm. there's Bloom's new digital taxonomy. But the idea is that um, there are different levels of learning. And basically answering a test question is like at the bottom. It's like, you know, just grabbing it. And it goes all the way up into synthesis, judging, right? And we're teaching at the most basic, limited primary level or what we're testing or what we're measuring or evaluating. Mm -hmm. And it's good, such good. low level learning that will not benefit people and it's basically penalizing people who do not have and this is a political statement on my end it's really penalizing those young people those kids those students who do not come from you know a family that is supportive of education where there are discussions about issues there are books right in, you know in the house you know, there are people who, you know, parents come home and are exhausted from 12, 14-hour shifts and people working two jobs. We're really, really harming those kids, I think. And I think the testing, teaching to the test, really harms those kids the most. They're going to, you know, going to really fall behind, I think. So, yeah, back to the testing, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, well, there's uh, there's all kinds of ways that the system is broken. It's, it's unfortunate the, the 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 attempts to fix it are in so many ways making it worse. Yeah, and the other thing is that you know, I, when was the last time that a board of education said, you know, look, you know, we're pretty incompetent, right? We've caused the problems here. We're all going to resign in mass. <laughs> 
right? It's kind of like, why do people blame um, the workers on an assembly line for the quality of a, a, the poor quality of a car? Right. I mean, you, you're basically told to turn a bolt, let's say. Right. You, mm. you know, you're doing a specific task. Does no one think that the people who designed the car or the people who signed off on the type of parts or the quality of parts or the quality assurance or the quality control or the marketing are also responsible for the fact that the car doesn't have as high quality as it used to? But mm. who gets um, criticized? Hmm. Anyway, I guess I've identified myself as a progressive. <laughs> I guess everybody knows who I vote for in, in the U.S. elections. <laughs> but I think, you know, we have to bring this issue back to that whole society thing, Tony, mm -hmm. that it's not an isolated issue. It really has a lot to do with what is, you know, every individual's responsibility in society to the other members in society. Mm -hmm. And every, I think, you know, to have a... a, a a fully functioning and effective public education system is necessary to have a healthy society. And without that, yeah. I get scared. Yeah, well, I think the, it, it, you're absolutely right. And it, of it course, I'm absolutely right, to... Tony. Thank you for <laughs> reaffirming that. But sorry, go ahead. But it, yeah, just in, in society in general, I mean, the, 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 the trend right now is to be so incredibly short-sighted. Yes. Um, really screwing the future generations and at, at every level, whether you're talking about global warming, whether you're talking about infrastructure and damn it, if it's one thing that's really going to make a difference is the education. Right. Um, that is it. I mean, if that is everything, you know, the, what we're going to teach the kids, what our future generation, the next generation, what they're going to do, how they're going to be able to handle these problems, the way that they're going to think, the way they're going to approach these things, that, has got to be the first priority. It's got to be. There's no, there's no, you talk about defense, you talk about health, nothing else. It, it has to be education. It's got to be. And this perverse uh, trend to cut back on that, you know, like I said, what just what happened in, in my hometown, um, it's criminal. It's criminal. Mm. It's all, it's just, it's just, I I don't I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah, I think both of us and many of the people we know and our friends would agree. You know, this is an investment in the future, and and people are treating it as an expense. It's not exactly an, expense. It's that, an investment, that, right? Good, good, good point. Good point. Good point. It's you know, it's not an expense. It's an investment, and I don't even want to use these you know money terms, but mm. it really is making sure that people are getting a good education cannot have any negative side effects downsides at all if well except unless you're an idiot and these educated people will no longer vote for idiots yeah well i was about to get to that but, <laughs> and now we know who tony and, and that now we an, know who tony and, votes for it and they'll think election. that's a negative <laughs> yes well our, i think our our liberal progressive bent is coming out in today's episode but it's an it's an issue that i think even conservative people who care about the pro, you know, the society and the world would be considered. It's that right? Well, I think I think I think even yeah, even regardless of how conservative you are, I think you. How can you argue? Against uh, they they will education? they will acknowledge the importance of education. We will differ on on the on the ways to fix it and the ways to do things, but um, I 
think that most people agree on the importance of education. We just disagree very often on the best way to fix the problem. Right, and this is the example of the charter school issue mm, where exactly yeah and the uh, i find it interesting that people believe that because they're good at business that they think that ah. you know the the ideas of business will uh um transfer you can apply you can apply those to principles education. to education and we see that with um right this attitude of um of business being applied to government they're mm-hmm. different yeah. animals good example they're yeah. different animals Exactly. The, the the purpose of government is not to make the most money possible. I mean, that's business. That's what you do. You, you got to keep your, your stockholders happy. Profit is your is your priority. Exactly. That is not the priority of government. It is not the priority of education. Right. It's not profit. Right. And that's not to say that people can do not run their schools or their public you know organizations efficiently and effectively. But it's the notion that um, I've heard this from some people when I went back to visit in the United States who were just like, just the people running schools are just wasteful. And it's like, well, how are you, you know, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Right? You know, why do you think that because you run a business in, um, you know, or you're a business person that they're the same beast, they're the same animal? Look at what happens to healthcare when it's run on a for-profit model. And I don't know anybody who wants to have their doctor say, well, I didn't give you the diagnosis and I didn't give you the treatment because, you know, you couldn't afford it. Right? Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, oh, totally different. Yeah, it's a health thing or, or a romantic relationship. I mean, you know, apply business models to that. And say, it's just, it, yeah, it's insane. Yes, it, it really is. So a lot of it, again, is just how people are viewing things. So, again, it's not like we're look we're looking at people who are getting a lot of money, right? The average public exactly, school teacher is right. not earning a lot per year. And to have a pension um, that, <clears throat> you know, seems fair. Yeah, I don't even understand all the economics behind pensions. You know, I remember, you know, changing subjects for a second, Tony. I don't know how you felt, but I remember when I started reading that pension funds were beginning to invest in the stock market. And I thought, mm. you know, is that a little risky? Isn't like your pension supposed to be 100% <laughs> safe and just insured? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, so it is an interesting thing. So, okay, so testing, society's changed. Um, What about just the, let's go to, I think, like the monster parent, helicopter parent issue for a a little Uh bit. Um, That's a strange beast. A parent who comes in and um, says to a teacher, this I've actually heard, you're giving my my kid too much homework so they, they don't have enough time for their Juku homework. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Uh, Mm. teacher to parent uh i was trying to save you money (laughs) Mm. so yeah um on the one on the one hand uh it's a positive to have a parent concerned and involved i mean it's better than apathy Mm. or worse you know an anti-education because i know i kids that I grew up with too there were there were families where their families were basically anti-intellectual anti-education the mm. school was a waste of time it doesn't teach you it's like you do, it doesn't teach you anything. It's like they don't the teachers don't know you know the old thing really neanderthal mindset is like yeah it's just like you know whatever you just do what do what they tell you and that's that's that it doesn't mean anything it's just what you have to do um on the one hand it is uh not a totally negative thing to have the parent involved. And no, concerned. parent involvement is a key. 
to success. But, but, but you, you know, the, again, the relationship, the balance of the split of responsibilities, okay, what is the parent's responsibility? Where does it begin? Where does it end? And the teacher's responsibility, where does that begin? And, and the, the roles and the understanding of the roles, uh, in some cases, get a little bit confused. Hmm. That's a good way of putting it. But I'm, I'm talking about, you know, not, you know, I would like parents more involved in their education. I think mm. that's important. They should want to know, you know, you know. And a great way to do that is to ask your your kid, "Hey, what did you do in school today? Explain your homework to me. Explain what you're doing. Tell me about the most interesting thing you learned today." But I'm talking about, you know, the helicopter parents who I I was reading, what was it in the Chronicle of Higher Education? Um some people were saying that professors at universities are getting phone calls from parents complaining about the grade their ch their child received. Mm. I'm sorry. No, that's not surprising. I'm sorry. I'm not surprised. Yeah, but to me, that's just offensive. It's insane, but I'm not surprised. You know, it's just like, yeah, I understand <clears throat> that. But I'm just saying, you know, instead of the parents saying, well, maybe my, you know, this is the grade my child got. Yeah, maybe you maybe need to talk to the kid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> ask the, maybe, maybe talk to the kid. Maybe, maybe hit the books a little bit or, more. Or, or <laughs> say, hey, show me your test scores. Right? Yeah. Hey, let me see your homework. You know, um, so again, it's, I think we can tie in this attack on teachers also to a changing sense about the role of a parent. But isn't it interesting? I think what we're kind of both sensing, or maybe at least I am, is that parents have been shifting more and more responsibility over to the schools, but then people mm -hmm. want to pay less and less tax money. And it's kind of like, excuse me, but if you want to shift more responsibility over to your teachers to raise your kids, don't you think you should, like, pay for something? Why do you want to get something for nothing? And I think that might, yeah, that might that's be part of even, maybe what that's it is. symptomatic of a, of a whole big um, shift, I think, in, in American society and in American culture. It's, since I've been in Japan, and I don't know, that's my, maybe my you know point of view, my perspective has changed a little bit because I'm here rather than there, but I don't think so. Um, I sense a huge shift uh, in the the mindset of, of the uh, American society, the public, the individuals, whatever, um, to shirk responsibility. It is one of the things that was really different here um, when I came to Japan was that, yeah, I, it's like, well, here, no one assumes personal responsibility. Nobody takes responsibility. Um, and, but back home in America, we, you know, right, we, right. a sense of personal responsibility. But that has changed so much. Uh, I guess the um, the the iconic story is the the woman who sued McDonald's because she spilled the coffee in her lap and the coffee was too hot, and that was McDonald's fault. And the judge ruled in her favor. Mm. Um, yeah, it's not her fault for spilling the coffee. <laughs> Uh, it's somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. You slip and fall. Don't call a doctor. Call a lawyer because it's somebody else's fault. Um, your kid failed a class. It's not my kid. It's somebody else's fault. Whatever, whatever happens, right, it's right. like you know Failure. your ninety-five-year-old father didn't survive the operation. It's the doctor's fault. It wasn't. Oh, it but wasn't the fact that he was ninety-five and smoked his whole. Sorry life. to interrupt you here because you mm. you just reminded me that it's so true that there's this very common thing that if a student fails, it's because of the teacher. Mm -hmm. 
as if like if a student succeeds, it's because of the teacher too. It like it removes like <laughs> you know. Nice, huh? I, I remember. I think my father one time. I was uh, I had just finished getting my degree in English lit or something, and he wanted a doctor or some rich lawyer for his son or something. I think maybe or something. Mm. And my father said, "He goes, how did I fail? How did I fail with you?" And I turned around and I said to my dad, "Dad, I failed on my own. <laughs> you don't get any credit for this. This is like you know mine." And I think that there's a. You're right. There's a certain part of that and you know tony i'm thinking in this sense we kind of are taking more of that conservative side of the argument right mm, personal and, responsibility right yeah. and that this partisanness instead of saying that everything we know is now pointing to hybrid solutions balancing fairly right mm -hmm. and that we know that an either or kind of answer tends not to really solve an issue it doesn't provide an effective solution and yeah. I want to tie this now back how this lack of like personal responsibility goes into the fact, again, that you can't just say it's the teacher's responsibility or the student's responsibility. This is a classroom and a teacher-student relationship. It's a dynamic. And family. And family. It's a three-way It's a dynamic. Okay. And that it requires, it can't be solved easily. And the more we teach to a test where we teach people right answers, I think it's going to turn, it's going to increase this partisan difference because people will simply look at problems in a more simplified manner. Yeah, you can't, you got to work on the system. You can't work on an individual component of it. It doesn't work that way. Exactly. And the biggest negative is that I think as we see more and more teaching to the test in the United States, we're going to see increased partisanship. And actually, yeah. I wonder whether or not there's a that those coincide, mm. right? Because it wouldn't be surprised if you yeah. teach somebody that there's one right answer. Then naturally, if you're a Democrat, then, you then, will then everything assume else that is wrong. everything else is wrong. Instead of saying, you know what, um, if I just stick to my liberal thinking and ignore conservative thinking, I'm not going to be able to solve the problem. I've got to find out what's good on the other side. This is a perfect example of how teaching to the test and, you know, personal responsibility kind of ties together. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. you're right. It's scary. We are, yeah, we are diseducating for the future. The mm. more we focus on this tests and the more we remove personal responsibility yeah, it's an amazing issue. Ugh. So, yeah, so, yeah, well, let's, uh, we got a little surprise, actually a little furlough, right. a little extra here, and uh, talking about this situation with teachers in the United States, we, in fact, have a teacher from the United States uh, who has yeah. a, actually knows something about the problem. Uh, this um, is Dennis, right? Yeah. This, this is, is your friend, friend Dennis. your friend, who you've known for many, many years. Yeah, we went to high school together. We went to high school together, and we uh, were in the same English classes and inspired by the same teacher. And uh, he's been teaching in the um, Chicago area, not the Chicago public school. Which area is he in, by the way? What's that? What area? Eng English, English lit. Yeah, but yeah, English, English high school area? English teacher. What geographic right? area? Oh, Chicago. But where in Chicago? I'm just curious. Cause... Oak Park. Okay. That's where he lives in Oak Park, and he taught... Uh, for a while at the, at our high school on the south side of Chicago. And for people who uh, don't know, would you just explain the south side of Chicago a little? Um, you know, the song Bad Bad Leeboy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bad part we're of town. dating ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a, he started off at uh, where I went to high school, St. Rita High School, 
and uh, taught there for a few years. That's an all-boy Catholic school, very strict, um, sound academic. It was kind of a college prep type um, high school, and uh, you know, strong, strong athletics, uh, strong academics, um, old school, rough. rough uh, the, the the kids were you know we were all boys. We were high school boys. We were looking for something to screw up. We were just looking for something to break. Mm. Uh, and, uh, the teachers there were to keep us in line and, you know, it was an experience. And then, uh, taught, uh, I think the bulk of his career is in the Northwest suburbs, uh, very different environment. And I, I don't know the name of the, the school, but he was there for a long time, total of 33 years and uh, just recently retired. And, um, I talked with him and we've got a short, no, not, not such a short, this may be about but it's really hour. interesting. It's yeah, it's a wide ranging discussion. Yeah, right. And he talks. I think we we talked mostly about the uh, maybe about the anti intellectual mm. atmosphere, uh, and also a very interesting thing about the because um, this is high school. You know, yes, Charles yes, and yes. I are at the university, so he's in high school. But the um, uh, athletics. Yes, yes, yes. That was really and, interesting. Uh, and the that. economics. You know, yeah. the athletics and the economics and how that. Um, blends in and the other kind of sometimes surprising demands that are put on yes. the teachers, yeah. right? Because it was something that we don't do, think about, and, and might not know. Uh, I, I learned a lot. It was kind of interesting, right? I, yeah, I found listening to your talking with Dennis really interesting about also his talking about coaching and how that is weighed, and you know, he has some interesting ideas about the anti-intellectualism and how people are teaching and it's a really interesting um discussion from somebody who's been what 33 years i think you said 33 years yeah. 33 years of the uh, hold on a second i've been teaching <laughs> exactly oh, yeah no, <laughs> oh yeah well, he retired early did he? oh but they, no you're a little older up. than me i forget right up. you're you're yeah, born yeah. 1952 three 53 so you're five years yeah. older than me so if i'm 55 so 60 <laughs> oh so yeah about 60 Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it's nice that um for anyone who's interested, please listen. You might, well, we should say you should listen to that before you listen to the podcast, but that doesn't <laughs> help you very much, does it? <laughs> but it's too late now. Okay, so it's an interesting diversion for us, Tony. Usually, or almost always, we've been talking about the Japanese situation, mm-hmm. and today we've kind of ventured out a little bit and uh, talked about what's happening in the United States. Yeah, and apologize to apologies to the non-Americans, not to get all you know U.S. centric and things. And I know that that chafes sometimes, but um, it's a it's a big fish in the water, and it, it, it starts moving around. It makes waves for everybody. So I don't think it's that uh, inappropriate to take a look and see what's going on there. Right. You know, if we if someone out there from um, there are any Finns out there who want to come in and talk to us about you know the education system in Finland. Um, that would be really cool. Yeah, actually, <laughs> but yeah, I, that's um, for people you should really look into uh, the Finnish. That'd system. be nice. But a little caveat there is that every system that's been admired has, you know, been disadmired. <laughs> yeah, and the then, and, you know, it's, it's, it's such a it's, difficult field. It, yeah, it's a system too, right? I mean, what works in Finland probably is going to work on the south side of Chicago, and, and what works in the south side of Chicago is not going to work here in Japan. But the, you really get again, we can't. Attack one component. You've got to look at the whole system but and see everything that works. But the big difference there is in Finland, the teacher is really admired and respected. Uh, right? Uh, you know, I mean, I know that uh, the Finnish system was also designed to make sure to maximize the number of people who learn. 
That's ah. a big difference, right? But I think you have to have an extra year of university. It's considered a prestigious um, profession. It's respected. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, how much of their success is due to that? Uh, and, you know, and on that note. And on that note, <laughs> let's say this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And we are the original two teachers talking. <laughs> the original, the ri- except no substitutes. Yes, we want to emphasize that, except no substitutes. Tony, why don't you just explain that one real quickly? We should, let's give a nod out to um, where mimicry is the greatest form of flattery. You want to just go ahead? Someone else out there is using her name right <laughs> so i'm the real charles Wiss and the real and this is the real tony, tony Sola. Sola. and we're the original and the real, real two, two teachers, teachers talking, talking. <laughs> and we're at two teachers talking.com and uh, email at two teachers talking at gmail.com and um, also at skype two teachers talking yeah and if somebody would use the skype line we'd appreciate it to see if it's working <laughs> see if it works <laughs> does it actually again, work again charles i don't you i don't check you there might we might have 10 15 messages then okay actually you're right i haven't checked it so <laughs> nice out tony nice all right out. so there we go and so and so yeah coming up right, right after this is the uh is the interview i did with uh dennis and talks he talks about um how that um that those changes the changes that charles and i just talked about um are really you know affected him in the classroom yes yeah that's, that's it's, a, good. it's a good listen okay it's a good listen all right tony so we'll be okay. talking to you soon all right well thanks bye so uh this is tony silva in japan and dennis in the united states hey so dennis is a, a recently retired english teacher he's spent uh 33 years teaching in high school in the Chicago area, mostly in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, we go way back um, to high school, and we were 40-plus years ago. And uh, we were inspired by a, a great teacher, uh, the late uh, Dr. Donald Rackey, and um, became teachers ourselves. And uh, here in Japan, you know, we read news about um, the ways that uh, teachers seem to be under attack back home in the United States. And maybe to a lesser extent here in Japan as well, but uh, you know, in the states we hear about the um, anti-union measures, the austerity budgets, and uh, maybe, maybe most importantly, this underlying mood of anti-intellectualism that uh, seems to be growing back home. And uh, Dennis is going to share some of his uh, his firsthand account of how this is affecting things in the classroom itself. I mean, we can read the newspapers, but. Um, as we all know, when you get into the classroom itself, things can look very different and uh, either you know, more severe or less severe. So try and get, uh, from Den's account, get a better grasp of uh, the implications of what we're reading. So, so Den, what do you think? Where do you want to start? Well, maybe just a little bit of homage to Dr. Racky, since he uh. highly influenced both of our professional lives. And I mean, if you remember the reverence he had for the written word with you know, the purchasing of paperback books and the annotations. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later in this talk, but I just thought, since you mentioned him in the very intro of this, that it would be fitting just to give him the kudos that um, he did deserve. Um, I'd like to start, though, with, um, I don't know, just a general impression about uh, the profession itself of uh, teaching in the United States. And uh, it seems to me that it's just on a, a much lower bar than the other ones, uh, especially the the ones that you really do uh, look at professionally, like lawyers, accountants, doctors, etc. 
And um, I, I don't know, maybe that's a part of it that it's starting to permeate um, just just too much of what this country is all about. Because I mean, do you, do you think that's getting worse than it was before? Because that, that's kind of my recollection. It's kind of always the way it's been, but it's you feeling that it's getting worse. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of a, a, a divergent topic, though, with uh, the lack of funding and you know, pension crisis and the lack of ability to to pay teachers, and you know, as a result, they're all over the front page news in the media, and um, it's not the greatest public relations in the world. But just in terms of anti-intellectualism, I think it does, you know, cut into your psyche after a certain point if you just see that your profession is just being sprayed all over the news all the time, and it's not really put in a very good light. Yeah, I was. It, it, it kind of struck home. Was it? Um, was it this last summer, uh, in the 2012, when the Chicago um, Chicago public school teachers were on strike and uh, seeing the teachers and on the on the picket line and kind of. Interesting to see the the public reaction to that. You know, which what what segment was supporting the teachers and which uh, seemed rather offended or outraged by it. Well, my wife and I were out there on Labor Day, both wearing red um, in support of the Chicago Public School teachers, even though we're not part of that system. And you know, because we're pro union members, again, this is another divergent topic, but it, it kind of cuts into a anti-intellectualism too, because I noticed a, a great esprit de corps there with uh, especially the the whole uh, uh, wall of red, um, hundreds and hundreds of uh, people in support of uh, the teachers. And it was really a, a very emotional meeting. But if I talk about it with some of my friends who aren't teachers and maybe who don't have their professions protected by uh, unions and collective bargaining, uh, they're not exactly the biggest fans of the kinds of protections that we have. But again, this is probably another topic. I want to Probably focus a little bit more on, you know, what's going on in our schools. Um, okay, good. Um, student athletes. There's a real, real big um, um, preference shown, I believe, in in athletes, and uh, America is famous for it. So, in fact, you know, I'll be watching the Blackhawks uh, a few hours from now, and um, I think we shared that map of the United States, where in individual states you just saw all the highest public. Uh, employees in each individual state, and most of them were the high school or the college football uh, coaches. And that I, was that was that was pretty enlightening. I thought, yeah, it was surprising. I mean, even though I, yeah. implicitly we both knew it, but it was shocking just to see state after state after state. And what happens? It's a it, it trickles down from the pros to colleges to high schools and even lower. And you know, since I was a high school teacher most of my working life, uh, I, I I saw the the, the deference given to coaches um, and what really struck home to me was um, when the hiring process as the years go on um, it, it seems like because so many coaching positions have to be taken um, it, it, these positions are filled by coaches who happen to teach and one of my friends who was on a committee a couple of years ago said there's a woman who had a master's from the uh, was at Trinity College in Dublin, and she was not even interviewed because she had um, no capability of coaching two sports. And I, I just thought to myself, that's um, that's not right. Um, and I, I don't know how that's changed. so. That's interesting. So that, that's interesting. Just to, to to clarify that. So pretty much when when high schools are doing their hiring, when they're looking at a, a potential teacher. Uh, their coaching ability is one of the key factors that they're looking at. Oh, yeah. And what happens huh. after huh. teachers get tenure, it used to be two years for me, now it's four years. So uh, the younger people who are hired, um, they have a lot of athletic ability. And a lot of them are, are 
are savvy enough in their field, uh, but I don't think that they are as immersed in um, the literature we were, especially as it was the way it was taught to us by Dr. Racky. And uh, as each year um, progressed, I, I noticed more of a, a slippage when it came to that um, kind of reverence for the written word, and instead more of a, a reverence in a, uh, for the ability of somebody on a football field or a baseball field, that kind of thing. Hmm, 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 hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because we don't get any sense of that from the, what we read in the papers, right, from the news. Well, it kind of connects, you know, with as older people like myself retire and the newer ones come in, <clears throat> it's it's amazing because I can go back, when I look back to my past, there was never, ever that kind of pressure to um, um, go along with the current vogue, whatever initiative was, the teaching to the test mentality. And I really feel sorry for the newer people coming in because there are, there's so much pressure put on them in four years to prove that they are worthy enough to teach in some of these suburban public schools. And there's a waiting list. I think my department chair said, um, one of my friends, a former student, in fact, he, he wanted to try to get into my district and there was only a part-time job. And my department chair said, well, if he doesn't want it, there's 12,000 other people in our database who, who could take that job. So people are in line for these kinds of positions, but uh, what I, I notice is that um, there there's just such a um, almost a inculcation, if that's the word, or a brainwashing of of how to teach a certain way. Um, and if you look back at our days in high school, that was never that way um, back then. Especially when we're talking about anti-intellectualism or teachers under attack. I'm specifically looking at our field of English, um, and so when I'm taught or told that I have to teach to the test and, you know, for whatever reason, this is the current initiative. Well, boy, oh boy, there's uh, sometimes something, nothing new under the sun. And the, the last one before I retired was um, an echo of Bloom's taxonomy that was taught to us many, many years ago. And <clears throat> the watered down version that we had to go through was each month we would have a, a topic, uh, predicting, summarizing, connecting, questioning, Etc. And we would devote so much time to those topics instead of the complexity of literature. And I, I, I know that the observations made by administrators when it came to uh, scoring and grading um, and eventually hiring these new teachers, they were uh, very much, uh, their jobs depended on whether or not they, they taught to the test or taught to the initiative. And, and that, that always uh, filled me with rancor. So with the, uh, the it being somewhat of a buyer's market for the schools and the uh, high, you know, the paucity of jobs for teachers and things, academic freedom has kind of uh, gotten thrown out the window. Sounds well, like it was good for the tenure teachers. I could just shut my door. In fact, uh, I can remember one of my last observations: an administrator, when he was done watching my lesson, it was supposed to be on summarizing, but to me, when teaching advanced placement students, we were told not to summarize. We're supposed to go on to the higher order thinking skills. So the hmm. um, administrator, when he was done with my lesson, he told me pretty much, he wasn't exactly sure what he saw, what he observed. Um, he knows that uh, I didn't really do what I was supposed to do in terms of summarizing, but, but I went way, way beyond that. Um, and to me, why waste time with summarizing when you're dealing with advanced placement students? Mm-hmm. So to me, uh, too much time is spent on that. Um, I was listening to the radio last month, and there was a, a journalist who actually spent an entire year in an elementary school. I think it was Connecticut, and um, 
um, there was a failing school and as a result the principal had the same kinds of teachers only you know with the younger students uh, under the same pressure to try to raise test scores and the journalists admitted that the teachers were doing the best that they could but so much time was devoted to teaching to the test mm. and I find it ironic that if perhaps if people would just immerse them themselves with, with the great books um, maybe these test scores would take care of themselves well, that's that's always that's my that's always been my feeling as well and we're at, here in Japan uh, at the universities we're starting to get a bit of that breeze blowing in um, with uh, even a more emphasis on test scores as a measure of evaluation. And um, uh, even seeing some of my, the curricula at some of my schools starting to shift in that direction with classes uh, geared more toward um, uh, preparation for those test scores. And in fact, it was uh, about three or four years ago, actually it was a, I left a school because of just such a change in the curriculum where they uh, changed uh, what was what was a very nice English program um, and shifted it completely over toward um, you know standardized test prep. And well, I, was, well, I don't need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you know the, the the whole pressure you, when you contrast the scores from Japan versus the United States. I mean, the United States is putting up from some pretty deplorable numbers, but there, there's still this myth of um, the American dream. Part of it is uh, college education, and that's true for us. It really is. But I I believe that this whole idea about mainstreaming students and having different tracks of accelerated and regular and remedial it it, it really puts a a, a stigma on blue-collar workers and trade school uh, positions. And there's a, a pretty high percentage of students who should not be immersing themselves or probably can't even handle the immersion in, in complex literature. And yet parents push them to, to go to college. And um, as a result, the American dream, it, it's become the American nightmare for a lot of students. Um, huh. They know they want to go to college. They're not exactly sure for what reason, especially with the economy being the way it is. And when you finally, if I teach a, a so-called regular junior class and I try to teach Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, well, lots of luck. Um, uh, it's, it's too nuanced, as my son uh, said. And uh, just saw the movie version of it. And I was remarking to one of my friends that it's, it's kind, of, kind of sad. That a lot of uh, the students of today will never be able to understand the difference between um, the, the, the poetic language of Fitzgerald versus uh, almost... ADD version of uh, uh, the explosion of what you see on the movie screen. Um, and I, I, I had problems with that where you're supposed to be teaching regular English, but really it becomes a uh, regular English light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's connected with funding. There was just an article in the Tribune last week, I think it was saying about uh, more uh, ESL uh, special ed students are going to be put into regular classrooms because of lack of funding. And, uh, I had one poor girl a few years ago. She was a Chinese student, and she was uh, moved into my room from ESL, and she really didn't know how to speak English very well. She just sat in the corner, and it literally took me a, a, too long of a time to understand it. She did not belong in this room. Um, and I, I, I just don't know how to change it. But part of it is uh, how do you change a mentality about um, getting a college degree if it's not really going to get a, a position for you and, and say that there is worth with blue collar work or, or trade schools. Mm. Yeah, we've got uh, something similar going on here and it, it's interesting. I don't I don't have the stats or the numbers at my at my fingertips, but um the percentage of students who 
go on from high school to university is much higher in Japan um, than it is in the United States. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And the, the whole definition of what high school is and what university is is very, very different uh, in Japan than it is in the United States. Um, but um, well, part- yeah, certainly there is a stigma attached to here uh, not going to, to university, and uh, it's, but it's it's a, it's really kind of apples and oranges. But it's interesting to hear um, the way that that uh, overall uh, that uh, disparaging of the, of the blue collar worker the, that you talk about how that affects the students in the classroom. That's, that's pretty interesting. Well, it kind of cuts into the topic of anti-intellectualism, too, because mm-hmm. you realize that some of these students will never really appreciate um, Gatsby, but you'd still want to uh, expose them to it. Uh, the, the, uh, another issue, of, of course, is when you compare certain school districts like mine with other more impressive ones who, who uh, score better on standardized tests like the ACT, well, then our district will bring in the superintendent. And I know darn well a lot of this is socioeconomics and uh, the education level of the parents. But um, the one mantra I, I believe I told you about, about failure is not an option, it's now become part of uh, our school system where students have unlimited time just to make up tests and um there's there's no real uh, word for failure because if they do fail a test, they get the chance to take it over and over and over again. And I yeah, it's almost a perversion of the in- initial intent, right? Well, I mean, right, it's, it's but, like weird. exactly. You got to admit, in in, re- in reality, in, in life, I mean, there is failure. I just you know play golf. Uh, and there are con- yeah failure. There's failure and there's consequences. Right. You know, I wish I could have a mulligan every time I hit a ball in the water. Uh, don't get that opportunity, but you know, in the current system of today. Uh, you know, it's connected with uh, technology, with the electronic gradebook, and that whole thing, where the parents have ultimate say in a lot of uh, what's what's going on too, and um, monitoring percentages and and things like that. And um, as long as back in the day, I don't know what failing was sixty percent or sixty three percent, but there's there's no real true percentage now. As long as the student is given that ability to take the test over and over again, or if he's not ready or she's not ready to. Uh, turn in a research paper, well, then extended time is given. Well, that used to be true for special needs students, but now it seems like all students are special needs students. And Mm. I don't understand. In the real working world that I know of, uh, there's deadlines. Um, And I don't really know what we're trying to teach uh, students by um, watering down things and and perhaps giving them such a sense of entitlement. The, uh, the, The high school university divide... And again, in in the states and, and here in Japan, um, are, are very different. But we have to struggle with uh, that same phenomenon at the university level, uh, where in Japan the the high schools are a, a little bit more rigorous, and everything is geared toward university entrance examinations. And there are very real consequences for failure because uh, the the university that you're able to get into very often marks your path for life. But once you get into that university, um, yeah, we have, a, I guess the Japanese version of failure is not an option. It's like, it's, it's not even a question. <laughs> it's like right. people, people don't fail. <laughs> it's just, well, it's just, it's, 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 a, it's a, you just assume that you're going to pass the class. And it's, uh, amazing how, uh, that notion gets absorbed and communicated down and how it affects, uh, everything in the classroom. Well, a big part of it, um, when I, th- I think back about the, 
little things, um, the annotating of books and, and, and people who don't, students who may not like to read, and, but they know they want to go to college. Well, there's a disconnect there. If you're not going to read when you're a junior in high school, how are you going to turn that on when you're a freshman in college? Right. Yeah. University does imply some kind of academic rigor <laughs> activity anyway. Well, I'm telling you, too many of them have to take uh, remedial uh, classes for no credit um, in order just to start um, their general education re um, courses in, in the fall in, in many of the community colleges. But um, mm. I, hmm. I just don't know um, the solution. I know there's a, a lot of problems. Uh, I'm, I'm a bigger fan. If there is a problem, well, then what is the solution? But uh, th this is uh, it's a pretty... Uh, tough nut to crack here it's not a simple it's not, it's not a one-dimensional problem there's there's a lot of factors that go into it i'm curious because one of the other things that we don't at, at teaching at a university i really don't have any first-hand experience with but you mentioned very briefly um about the parents and the pressures that the parents can put uh on the students but i'm guessing maybe on the teachers as well did, would you, your experience, like with uh, students' parents, um, for lack of a better word, interfering with what uh, you're trying to do? I guess the, uh, the the term we use here in Japan is monster parents. I think in the States, I think helicopter parents is maybe yeah. the common term. Well, I had the fortune of actually going back to our old high school to teach with uh, Dr. Reaki. And I remember one science teacher there, I won't mention a name, but... I, in my first year there, I happened to fail too many students in English, and he took me to the side and said, you know, um, Dennis, as you get older and more experienced, you're going to learn not to fail as many students. And I I, I took his uh, words of wisdom, and I understood what he was saying over time. And what happened is over the years, I it, that's what really did become true. Um, but there was one year where um, all the teachers' grades at the end of a semester, they were all posted in our individual departments, and all the F grades had been circled by the principal. And no other comment was made about that. Um, and it was a, a strong implication that um, um, too many of those failing grades were taking place. And um, it also was uh, the implication it was the teacher's fault. And um, that kind of... Um, paranoia almost where you you realize okay is this person with a 50 percent average close enough to to pass if, if something could be done and and that's where this idea about you know parental pressure it, it never used to be that way with the old school way of keeping grade books which was you know was pretty much uh, secretive it was just between the teacher and the student and now with everything electronically being done uh, those grades are all posted and i can remember my last couple of years of teaching um you had to be very, very, very careful about how grades were entered and then there'd be a dispute. And, and now it's gotten to the point where teachers are flagged. If there are too many assignments that are, are, are there and they're not showing up with good scores, well, it's not really the student's fault. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that we face here is the idea of the uh, student as customer. Uh, at the at the universities and the pressure to pass students uh, largely comes from that and that varies a lot from 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 institution to institution. That's um, at some schools, you know, where they they actually adhere to standards and teachers are uh, actually you know supported and uh, encouraged to, to fail students who don't uh, measure up. But there are other schools that, you know, not surprisingly, maybe a little more. Uh, dire economic straits where 
yeah, there very definitely is pressure on the teacher to uh, minimize the number of students that he or she might fail. Well, again, you know, if we're going to pretty much wrap this segment up, um, I don't know how you are in terms of time. Yeah, yeah, we're running a little. Yeah, we're running close to the end. So, yeah, it kind of. But if you go back to the the simpler way we were taught back in high school, we'd go to the bookstore and purchase our books and come to class and have our books. And we were ready. And we were ready to be taught. Um, It was pretty much an old school mentality. And I realized that each generation, there's an evolution and things change, especially with technology. And maybe we can look at that and talk about that topic well yeah the the tech is a a whole nother aspect i think it's a whole nother aspect i don't don't, i'm not sure how endemic it is and how i mean because it's it's so new right and i think what what, a lot of what we're talking about has been has been uh we're seeing the end of a, a much longer term process i'm guessing i don't know well, can you remember back in the day what would happen if we didn't bring our books to class? And, and now, <laughs> well, <laughs> now it's up to the point where uh, it was an option for students. <laughs> lower level classes, the teachers gave up and just kept the books in the room. And then whatever. Yeah, well, I think that made that only, I don't know if that was across the board. I mean, that was a lot to do with where we went to high school. Right, right, right. Oh, it was pretty, pretty strict. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we could have that kind of draconian uh, uh, rule uh, across. Yeah, I, don't think my, I don't think my brother, at the, who went to a Chicago public school, had the same kind of uh, uh, nightmares <laughs> that we did. Well, again, but I'm, I'm saying if you look back at the, at the profession and how we started this talk, uh, if, mm. if you're going to see a, a doctor or a lawyer for, for whatever reason, um, you would hope that whatever problem is going to get rectified. And if, if you are a teacher and you love your craft, uh, it, it, it really cuts into you over time. If, if, you, if you're ready and you're prepared and you, you're, you have your books, and, but the students don't. Um, and I, I, in a sense, I believe we've, we've given them uh, – too much of a um, a rain, uh, too much of a, um, what is the line from the crucible? The children are jangling, the, the little children are jangling the keys to the kingdom. Um, and by giving them that sense of entitlement, uh, it, it, it erodes the, the dignity of the profession itself. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, I can, I get that sense of the, the, the tail wagging the dog, you know, pretty strongly. And I you know, can only guess what that feels like in in the classroom there. Well, that's why it's always good when you, you know, come back and visit. And, you know, I, I, I read your book, uh, Us and Them, and about the tremendous uh, contrast uh, between these two countries and just the, mm. the way education is uh, viewed. Uh, uh, you know, my wife, uh, Chinese, uh, her father uh, passed on about 10, 12 years ago. But I'll always remember he was so proud when I was attending graduate school, especially University of Chicago. But he he talked with me about how, you know, his country, how important um, education was right up there with family and religion. And, mm. you know, that kind of reverence, um, I, I really feel is, is missing. Uh, if there is a reverence, uh. I'm checking the clock right now. I noticed about an hour and a half, my Blackhawks will be playing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's gotten to the point where, uh, you know, the, the, the country is, 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 is run by a different kind of engine now. Um, and, um, if it can change, uh, I'd like it to. I must have read over 100 books right now since I retired, and all of them are closely marked. Um, but I, I just don't know um, if it's just the passing of a generation, if this is just something that um, uh, was done maybe in our time, but in the next iteration of students, uh, it will just be a, a different kind of learner. Hmm. 
No, that that's uh, that sounds, yeah, very interesting. I mean, then maybe wrap it up right there, but uh, yeah, uh, the the change is there, and uh, yeah, I don't know how do you you can't certainly can't turn back the clock, but how do you uh, rectify what uh, obviously seems to be a little bit, you know? Well, off, but don't you think filter. in in your culture, um, uh, elders are respected? I mean, to have an, an elder, and I mean platonic with a capital E. To have some true person who maybe has taught for so many decades uh, to come in and into the class and teach. I remember one woman, British literature expert, she actually, after she retired, she missed teaching the Canterbury Tales so much. And after, I don't know, a few months, she came back to substitute. And she was almost run out of the room by a bunch of rowdy kids who didn't care about her anymore. Um, And she said she would never come back to do that. And I'm just thinking, that's not right. That that, yeah. that that's wrong on all kinds of levels. And instead, mm. then if you have, you know, some athletic younger person coming in who, you know, happens to be coaching a couple sports, that that person seems to carry a lot more weight with some of the students in the room. And I, that that to me is wrong. Yeah, it sounds like the you know, values need a little bit of real alignment. Yeah, there here there you know yeah traditionally there is respect mo- both for the uh, el- uh, more elderly, the aged, or the you know the, the higher. Again, it's a hierarchical society, and there's also a uh, uh, little more concern for rank, right? And for example, a you know a teacher um, occupies a certain point in the hierarchy, and hierarchy itself is is a much more pertinent factor here. But um, here too, that's that's changing as well, well a, a lot, changing a lot. Even the rank, when you're talking, isn't rank uh, uh, related somewhat with the kind of degree that you have, too? I mean, if you have an English degree, that's different than an education degree. And when you're taking a look at the hiring of people, it seems to me that departments over time are becoming more like um, generalized education departments instead of specialized departments. And, you know, here's math and here's science and here's English. And I don't know, to me, I was an English teacher, um, not a... Um, an education teacher um, and it, it's a fine line there um, but because of that um, priority of teaching to the test uh, it seems that the, those kinds of um, ideas about uh, whatever is the current initiative whatever is in vogue um, run with it and you know hope that um, te- you know schools get off the, the failing list and they're, they're not put on double secret probation hmm well, you're out of it now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I'm telling you, when I go back to visit my friends, every one of them takes me in the corner and says, Denny, you got out at the right time. Uh, that's sad. Well, that's sad. they're busy, 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 as Vonnegut would say. <clears throat> well, yeah, I'm with them. I'm still in it. And I'm busy, busy, busy. So uh, I guess we'll wrap it up. Well, thank you very much for your time. And, uh, yeah, go Hawks. Big fan, Tony. Look forward <laughs> to seeing you again when you come into the States, okay? Cool. All righty. Take care.